So what do you like about startups? What are you doing another one for? I think there's two kinds of founders. The people who want to start startups for starting startups' sake, and the people who want to start startups because they have this deep belief about a product. Primarily, I'm, I'm doing this new startup because I can't get the idea out of my head. I was convinced that we were doing something good. I, I was also convinced that I was not very good at fundraising. There's this thing in fundraising where there's a whole lot of no's followed by the occasional yes, and then suddenly everything turns to yes. I think I've gotten much tougher since I've been a CEO about rejection. Hi, I'm Paul Berger, founder of CircleCI. I'm Edith Harba, CEO and co-founder at LaunchDarkly. And you're listening to To Be Continuous, a podcast about continuous delivery and software development. You can get in touch with us anytime at our Twitter handle, at ContinuousCast. The show is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. So, Paul, we were just talking about how hard startups are. And what, what, what do you mean? Startups are wonderful. Yeah, great. Is that why you're starting another one? Well, no. I recognize that startups are fucking awful in so, so many ways. But you know, sometimes you like to build shit. So, so let, let's dive into this because you know, here we are doing our podcast, our startup-ish podcast. Yeah. So, what do you what do you like about startups? What are you doing another one for? Well, primarily, I'm I'm doing this new startup because I can't get the idea out of my head, which is the same reason I did Circle. Circle had been had been in my head for a good year, but before I actually did it. So. I, th- I think that that's a really good reason to do a startup. Like lots of people, are like I want to do a startup, but don't necessarily have an idea. And that's not a bad reason to do a startup, but it's it's not how I think about them. So this will actually be your third startup. This will be my fourth startup. Oh wow! Yeah. Did you have like a a, star, a startup back in Ireland that we don't talk about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It started up with like six, uh, a total of six of us right after college. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me a story, Paul. Ah, uh, six of us started a thing after college, so <laughs> it was. A you know let, let's consult while we figure out a product, and after about four or five months, I realized I was on a I was on a different page than the rest of them on many many things, were you and a couple the, of them work at Circle now. Were you in the same book? Uh, what? Well, you said you were on the same different page. Uh, we were kind of in the same book, yeah, yeah, but like we thought about the world in in different ways and in lots of ways. So. And now a couple are at Circle. Now a couple are at Circle, yeah. That's pretty cool. I mean, I'm I always see people downstairs at Heavy Bit with Circle jackets. Do you know them or are they just? Uh, they work for Serverless, so oh. they they are, they are former Circle employees who found their way over to Serverless. How does that make you feel? That's good. It's good. good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's good that they still wear their jackets. It means they're proud of the history. Or just like they don't have many jackets. Maybe, but there's a bunch of you know former Circles that. I mean, this is the thing when you have a startup in the valley, people find their way to other companies, and so you know a former former employee works at uh, works at Rainforest. No, no, no one yet on the uh, on the launch darkly team. We pretty much have our original team. Oh wow! But um, I came out of TripIt, and one of the things the TripIt founders are proud of is that of about twenty five people who were there, I think eight have gone on to start companies. Oh wow, that's really good. So I, I hope that Launch Darkly has a similar record. But the people who started companies, do you think that they fucking hate startups? So it's funny. So I actually gave a talk recently on um, how I failed at running a hundred miles. Mm-hmm. Okay, and. I thought this was just me like talking about failure. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody found it incredibly inspiring. 
Interesting. And I thought it was me just talking about how I'd the, failed. The uh, Silicon Valley fetishization of failure? Well, I talked about how I'd failed repeatedly. I, uh, okay, you kept going. It's I'd failed three times at running 100 miles. This reminds me of the uh, the story about the FedEx vendor who like everything was going to fail, but he or they were about to run out of cash, but he took all of the uh, his remaining money, brought it to Vegas, bet it on red, doubled it, and then had payroll. I just ran a lot. I mean, I think <laughs> it's, like, it's like keep going no matter what. Actually, so I think I think one of the worst things about about Silicon Valley is that it celebrates failure in a way. So like I, I think an allowance of failure, a belief that like failure is a positive thing or is a learning experience or or that sort of thing. But lots of people I think have swung too far in, in the opposite direction and it sort of like puts failure on some sort of pedestal. Well that's the funny thing is so what happened was I was trying to run these hundred miles when I started my company, mm-hmm. launched Darkly. And it was really hard in the early days. Mm-hmm. Like so it was John, my co founder and me. We were living on You mean of- startups were really hard. Both. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine that that's changed. It was John and me. We were living off our savings. Mm-hmm. He'd left a very well-paying job at Atlassian, mm-hmm. so I had this kind of weight of guilt on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Like I got my my friend to give up a high-paying job. Right, right. But he's a co-founder. At least he. Like I, I feel it's a bit different when you have employees who you convince to to give up whatever they had going to 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 join your ship. And we were starting to hire our first employees, mm-hmm. and I felt an immense amount of guilt. What was the guilt about? So like launch Starkly hadn't quite kicked off yet. It was oh, not I mean, the success the, that it is today. Oh, I mean, in the beginning, it was John and I sitting in a co-working space. Mm-hmm. Like we had no customers, we yeah. had no revenue, we had no product. Mm-hmm. Like all we had was this idea, right? And that's when I got into more. Like I'd run many races, but that's when I'm like, I could run a hundred miles because um, I didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. So like I couldn't really go out to dinner. Oh right, I see. Yeah, I couldn't travel. Yeah, but you know, running is pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. So I could just put in all these miles. And it was when I was trying to fundraise, and I just remember how crushed I was because I went to run this hundred mile race right in the middle of my friends and family round, and uh, I didn't finish the race. I dropped at mile seventy, mm-hmm. and it was such a low point. It was like my round isn't coming together. Mm-hmm. I can't finish a hundred miles. Yeah, utter failure. Wow. And I told this story to some of the very people who turned me down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they loved it. <laughs> they applauded. Well, because you kept going and you got through it. But it was but, amazing. Like, to, like well, literally, I remember like this low point where, like, every mm-hmm. day I would go into work. And I'm like, I'm an awful CEO and I'm an awful runner. I mean, they wouldn't have applauded it if you hadn't been giving, you know, the the kind of CEO who's able to give this sort of talk a couple of years later, like that failure fetishization forgets that you ninety know, percent of the people in the same story do go nowhere and end up failing. Is that it? I mean, because I didn't talk about the company at all. I just talked about. Yeah, but I mean, you, you're on the stage. You must have done something. No, it was just an, it was just um, like a small gathering of like 50 people. Okay. Huh. At a, a retreat that uh, Softech does. Oh yeah. I mean, if you're if you're on the Softech retreat, you know, I think you're there's enough uh, social capital given to to your story that that all these people are listening to you in the first place. And yeah, but it was just so hard in the beginning because there's the guilt that. I was recruiting people who were giving mm-hmm. up a lot to be on this journey with yeah. me. I had that fundraising guilt as well. So about two or three weeks into my seed round, like I started off with some really good momentum, got featured on Angel List, got a verbal offer of a term sheet that you know seemed to take a long, long time to come. And so about a month or, or yeah, about a month into it, we were, I was I was at this low point of like 
most of my warm leads are turning colder and colder. <laughs> um, there's almost no committed money. In fact, there might have been zero dollars committed at that point. And there's this thing in fundraising, and I'm sure you've seen this, where where there's a whole lot of no's followed by the occasional yes, and then suddenly everything turns to yes. FOMO. Hmm? That's called FOMO. FOMO, right, right, exactly. Investors are sheep, just just like everyone else. Ah. Um, <laughs> and so when when there's nobody, and no one wants to be the first person to do it. But you, when you're in that that thing, constantly getting no, 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 and you're starting to think like, well, maybe this isn't a great idea. No, I got more pissed off. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, this is a good idea. Well, it's uh, it's not that the startup itself isn't a good idea, but just like that sort of fear and anxiety of like, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I can't do this startup. Maybe maybe they're right that there's no market for this or, or whatever. No, I was convinced that we were doing something good. I, mm-hmm. I was also convinced that I was not very good at fundraising. So I was very determined that I would get better at fundraising. So okay. so like running was something I could control because I could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I could get better at it. So getting good at fundraising is something you can get better at. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, I'm not very good at this right now. Yeah. I will get better at it. But yeah, the beginning is tough. Like, no, you're this unknown company mm-hmm. with no product. Well, th- there's so many things that are just like this, where where you feel that you're failing your team. You feel that you're like, you know, you, you haven't rolled out a new internal initiative. Right? Maybe there's a there's a new process and it, and it fails, or or you roll something out and people hate it. And then you just feel like a fucking asshole. Like you feel like everything's falling down around you and that it's all your fault. So I have something that helps me a lot because I do feel the same way is that um, I will find new ways to fail. Okay. Like I I hate failing, but Mm -hmm. as long as I admit something didn't work and I'm willing to try something else. So taking the taking the view that it's all kind of a learning experience and that you're getting better at it and you don't make the same mistake twice, that kind of thing. Well sometimes you make the same mistake three or four or five (laughs) times, but like (laughs) at least at least you realize Mm -hmm. and and I think that's part of being a CEO is that the job I have today is very different than the job I had two years ago. Oh, it's insane how quickly it changes. It's like every like you've just started to get good at something and now you don't do it anymore. But that's fun. If it was always the same job, it would be boring. Well, yeah, but I found one of the simultaneously a great thing and, and a shitty thing about being a CEO is that because of that constant learning curve, it's always hard. Like learning is always difficult. You're always doing it wrong. And if you're going to start a new thing, you're going to have to learn and you're going to have to do it wrong. But because we're switching between things so often and we, we have new jobs every every three months or whatever. We're constantly doing it wrong. There's no time to settle down, and like we're, we're getting this right. But I think that's fun. I mean, yeah, but it's also fucking awful. I think I think the only way that you can survive it is so that was one of the questions after my talk mm-hmm. was like, why did you run 100 miles? It's yeah, because like, yeah, it's yeah. fun. It's like running a startup, right? Like it's hard, but it's hard and it's fun at the same time. The thing that really worked for me around that sort of failure was whenever I found it difficult to do a thing or difficult to be motivated to do the thing, I, I would say. You know, am I going to fail my team and my company and my investors and and, and all these things because I didn't want to you know, fill in the blank? Yeah. Right. You know, I was I was nervous about emailing this investor. Yeah. Do I want to fail my startup because I was too nervous to send an email? And that that, that sort of like shamed me a little bit into pushing through. Yeah. So that that actually ties back to you. So I was running a hundred miles and you'd written me a note before, like mm-hmm. you know, good luck. Just okay. A standard nice note. And at mile forty, I was thinking about dropping out. Mm-hmm. Like I was throwing up. It was ninety-seven degrees. I was in mm-hmm. a bad state. And I was like, I don't want to write Paul and tell him that I dropped out. Mm-hmm. 
I'll keep going. Right, nice. So you, you shamed me into. Oh, good. I, 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 <laughs> I'm not sure if if shaming another person is the same as as sort of shaming yourself. Well, it was definitely uh, it was definitely peer pressure because I'm like I don't want to you know, and I had this, but that metaphor is carried on because you know it's very popular to write all these failure posts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like to your point about the fetishization of like right, yeah. like oh I didn't do this and how we failed went. to do X and how I didn't get into Y Combinator and and that sort of thing. So always when I'm faced with something that I don't really want to do, mm-hmm. like there's certain things I just hate doing. But I'll think, do I want to think back? My company did not succeed mm-hmm. just because I had a mental block around right. Blah. So one of the things that you mentioned is how hard it is to sell to developers. Yeah, well, I think there's two types of developers. Mm-hmm. There's developers that want to build it themselves, mm-hmm. and there's developers that don't want to build it themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. And depending on what you're doing, they could be the same developer. Depending on how you spin it, or something like that. No, just depending on the maturity of your product, the maturity of the category. Like mm-hmm. I remember when people used to build their own application servers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody does so, it now. Certainly, with, with Circle, we found it very hard to get people to give up their code, which you need for for CI, obviously. But once the company got mature enough, or it had a bit of like stuff behind, a bit of backing, they'd heard of it from someone. Like t- today, no one asked this question, but the first six months of Circle, that was the only question. Was was you know I I don't know about giving my code to some third party. Yeah, I think every developer tool has some sort of maturity level where everybody mm-hmm. thinks there's no way in hell that I could have somebody else handle this. Right. Like but people, when you're when you're in that early stage and like people are just telling you no for some random reason and you're just like you, you don't really know and this is especially true for for people who used to be product people who used to be engineers like people just constantly telling you no it's not what your job typically is and so it's a, it's a shitty new part of being a founder as a first time founder oh it's a huge transition yeah like it's a huge transition like um so a conversation i had with an old boss of mine was so i used to be a, i was an engineer and then i was a product manager mm-hmm. and he's like well as a product manager you you're used to fighting for your projects and i'm mm-hmm. not always happening yeah 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 and I'm like, yes, but you have a much better success ratio. Right, yeah, yeah exactly. You, you might get one in three, one in four. But when you have 10, 20 customers in a row telling you, eh, yeah, maybe that, that was just not a good time. It's funny, I think I've gotten much tougher mm-hmm. since I've been a CEO about yeah. rejection. Right, yeah, yeah. It's, now you have all these employees who are saying no and or potential hires that are saying no. Actually, no, we do very well with recruiting. Oh, I'm just, I'm just mocking you. I actually have no information here. <laughs> I just assume that that at some point, I mean, we 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 found even when people got like super excited about Circle, it was still a fifty percent. Uh, really? Yeah, we have a pretty good hit rate. Interesting. I was more talking the thing that taught me about both customers and investors, mm-hmm. and and job interviews as well. Is it's mm-hmm. not always no. It's sometimes not right now, mm-hmm. or just. I, I've I've had a bunch of no's or not right now's be you know a couple of months later, you know actually now's a good time. I've been I've been rethinking my current company. You know this startup isn't a good idea, and I want to join your startup and and that sort of thing. Yeah, or just like when I was raising my seed round, I was talking to a lot of A investors, and our mutual friend Matt actually told me he's mm-hmm. like, Edie, you're talking to the wrong investors. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah he's yeah. like, you should be talking to seed funds, not these. Yeah, and not, I was like, not not VCs. Well, it's still still. VCs, but well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, oh, you're right. Yeah. And that's just a a recaliber of you know, not everybody needs a feature flagging. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is right to join LaunchDarkly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not everyone needs to raise from Series A investors. Yeah, and no. then like the people who I talked to two years ago when we were doing our seed fund are totally wrong to talk to now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what's it, what's it like for you? What, what um 
What's motivating you to start another company? What's motivating me to start another company? It, it's it's entirely about the product. I guess both the product and the mission. So, so the mission is huge. It's a much bigger thing than than anything I've worked on. And so, like the closest parallel I can find at Mozilla, our mission was to keep the web open. And I think that's the the same level of mission that uh, Dark is 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 what my startup is going to be called. I like that or, name. Well, the, the code name. I like the name. It sounds yeah, familiar. It's, it's, it does. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know why that is, but a, a number of people from your team have mentioned it. And maybe, I, maybe it's because you're wearing your lunch darkly shirt today. Maybe, maybe that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm staring at the word dark on your lunch darkly shirt. Oh yeah. No, I hadn't. Dark is a, a substring of launch darkly. I hadn't I hadn't realized that. Oh well, thanks for wearing your shirt today. Yeah. Oh, well, by, I, by, I, by the way, somebody actually wrote in asking for a shirt. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, if if you're interested in a to be continuous shirt or a launch darkly shirt or a circle CI t-shirt, send us a note on Twitter. Yeah, we don't actually have to be continuous shirts though. Oh no, but if you ask, if enough people ask for one, we'll we'll make them. How lean of you? Exactly. So after circle, there's I think a lot of people they're always fighting the the battles of their last relationship. Mm. Okay, and with startups, that means that people are looking to not do a startup afterwards. Mm. You see this a lot. People want to be you know, startup founders who like fail to get product market fit. They're like, I want to be an employee, or I want to work at a place that already has product market fit, or I want to work on something that isn't such a big idea, but is you know is rather or maybe I I don't want to work in consumer. I want to be in B two B, or I don't like B two B. I want to be in consumer. People just you know they they do the opposite. So I expected that that after Circle, I would want to do a not venture back startup. Mm. And it's not that I have anything against VCs or, or any of that sort of thing, but like it is definitely a challenge building a growth startup. The the venture model is inherently tied to growth, and with growth, you always have like, what have you done for me lately? Yep. And we, fact, we, and we grew fifty percent last year, or three x last year, or whatever it is. It's like okay, now for this year's three x. And in fact, the fact that you grew very rapidly last year puts more expectations. That's right. Yeah, 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 and all sorts of of you know similar things. And and a lot of people when they when they start startups, they they start them with this sort of expectation of you know you're doing your own thing. No. You didn't want to do your own thing. No, you're not. Oh, you're not exactly. You're exactly not. You're, 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 you've you're, got a board. You yeah. You know, there's like employees, uh, investors, customers. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you know the old joke, right? About hospitals, no, they could get a lot more done without all these darn patients. <laughs> right, ex- exactly. And so there's all this stuff that isn't startups, that isn't product. Yeah, it's right? it's funny. Um, I hope she doesn't mind me sharing the story, but do you know Heidi Rosen? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love her. Heidi, Heidi is awesome. So, um, she was telling me a story about starting a company with her brother. Mm-hmm. And before you said, well, you should start it with somebody you've known all your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, who have you known all your life? But yeah, yeah, sibling. But it turned out that he just wanted to build his own thing, mm-hmm. and he didn't really want to do anything else. But when you've got a board, you're not you're not building your own thing. You're you're building for the contract that you had with the board members, essentially. Yeah, and you're you're building um, the board is just other people's money. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pension funds. Mm-hmm. It's it's universities. You, you you're probably like ten steps away from pension, or at least three steps away from pension funds. But yeah, the, the, that's essentially who it is at the end of the day. Uh, closer than you think. Like, so I went to a soft tech event and mm-hmm. they had all these football players there, mm-hmm. and I asked why, and they're like, "Well, because they're our LPs." Oh, <laughs> hilarious! So, so they had Ronnie Lott, who's like a four-time Super Bowl winner, mm-hmm. hanging out at soft tech. What team does he play for? He uh, was the Super Bowl champion at the 49ers. Okay. 
that makes sense that celebrities in in the area would be investing into into startups. Yeah, I mean, what else are they going to do? Like, so you have investors, and you also have the the team, right? You, who who depends on you, right? And so one of the problems that that that, that we had is that. The sort of contract that we had with the team wasn't necessarily the same contract as we had with the investors. Tell me more. Well, we we were very into flat at the start. Oh, and yeah, I know, I know. It's a constant problem that everyone has. If if you're thinking of doing a flat startup, say no, or at least heed the following advice: we never said what flat was. Oh, yeah. So so it turns out that loads of people who started had different ideas about what it meant to be flat. Oh, and so then we we you know. In the pursuit of growth and, and startupness and, and and all this sort of thing, which which I think, to be fair, I hadn't really identified as as that important at the start. It was like it was in the back of my head, but it wasn't you know a thing we necessarily talked about. When you're pre-product market fit, you think a lot about product, and then when you you know are, are post Series A, you think a lot about growth. And when you're pre-product, the growth isn't at the top of your mind, but like so it, it's it's a thing that we didn't necessarily talk about when at you the start when we hired people. When you say growth, do you mean of the company? Uh, of the company, just like as a startup, right? You know, part of what you're doing in, in being a startup is, is you're trying to, at the risk of, of um, giving a cliche, you're trying to you know change the world in some way. You're, you're yeah. trying to you're trying to build a product that 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 affects people and and that makes you know some engineers' lives and your customers' companies better in, in in some way. Not 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 necessarily the biggest change in the world. You're not curing cancer, but like you want to have some sort of impact. Yeah. And part of that impact is reaching more and more people. Yeah. And that's kind of why I got into things, but I didn't necessarily think of like growth as it. So when we talked to our early employees, early hires, that sort of thing, we weren't really, you know, harping on the the growth bandwagon, but we were harping on the the flat bandwagon because that's that's how we believed in the world. And so when it came time to to focus on growth, you know, that 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 was a shift from what we had been doing so far, and in many ways that was a shift that contradicted people's definitions of flat. Yes. And that's inevitable if you have ten people. I mean, we, we had ten people. We probably had ten different definitions of flat. She probably actually had twenty. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, d- depending on the day of the week and and and, and all, what they'd all, read lately and who they right, talked to. Exactly. So there's all these people that you're serving who have completely different criteria. And so between the your your employees, your investors, even you know things like your spouses and and partners and and you know, families and so on. And vendors, customers, like like you're serving kind of all these people in in a certain way, and you're never really just serving yourself. Oh no! Right, but a lot of people start startups because they're like, I want to be my own boss. Oh no! And yeah, the terrible reason to to start a startup. No, I mean, uh, I th- I think that works if you're not employing anybody. Maybe, maybe. I, I had a dream for a long time of like, how can we have a startup which has no employees and no customers? <laughs> how do you make money? I uh, don't know. That's that's kind of the challenge, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess the only thing where where, where you can do that is, is some sort of arbitrage, but that feels like a shitty business model. Yeah. Even like, so um, my friend has started a business where they're a consultant now, but she's even more beholden because she has to go find work, and then she has contracts with customers, and she has to fulfill the customer. Right. And they they have to you have to get a renewal for that contract, and yeah. Yeah. So is she her boss? And mm-hmm. I mean, is she her own boss? Yeah. Yeah. But does she get to control everything? No. So there's a bunch of different challenges there. Let's talk about the employee one for for a second. So you start off, and there's there's maybe an idea that that employees work for you. No. Uh, yeah, exactly. So right. have you heard of the 
the idea of a servant leader. Well, yes, yes, that's exactly this that, is exactly. Uh, what that's I'm where about. all right. Yeah. We, we were we going to trail off into agreeing with each other. Uh, yeah, I was talking to a friend earlier, and I'm definitely not going to name names, but he he worked at this startup who had the very opposite of a servant leader. Like the uh, leader would send misogynistic emails to employees, uh. Uh, amongst other things. He would yell at people in meetings. Like people were crying all the time, and you know ha- half the company just like got up and left. And I don't really understand how anyone could be like that, or how, how that anyone could think that 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 was a successful model. But definitely, anyone who who is a successful leader in a startup, maybe a leader in general, but certainly in a startup, is is the very opposite of that. Well, I mean, I think some are. I mean, like Steve Jobs was notorious. I, I feel that Steve Jobs is going to be the biggest disservice to startup founders that there ever was, but by his example. I think so too. Like I remember, um, I remember an old company. So I've always been big on iteration mm-hmm. and lean and cycles. Oh right, right, yeah. And um, somebody else is like, "Well, Steve Jobs didn't do this. Why don't you just pick a direction and be firm?" Yeah. And I'm like, "Dude, I called him. Didn't answer. He's dead." <laughs> wow. <laughs> too far. It's it's too soon. Oh like, yeah, you know, like I told him I would get him into Flower and Water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's this famous shot of um, you know, Flower and Water, this Italian restaurant in yeah, the Mission. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's this famous shot of him getting turned away at the door. Steve Jobs. Yeah. Did he not have a jacket or something? No, um, they are really tough to get a reservation. They yeah, have half right. walk-ins. Uh-huh. And he showed up too late. And just like, no. No. So I was like, but if Steve Jobs was alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got him dinner there. I still couldn't do that every night, and I'd still want to iterate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's iteration and being and being the asshole leader. But but between all that, the thing that you imagine about your startup of like you know I'm going to be I'm going to be this this, you know, this thought leader and and you know in in your in your most egoful day of you know looking at Larry Page or or Mark Zuckerberg or something and thinking like you know that that's what it's like to be no it's never been like that it's so hard yeah. I mean I love it I I think I have the best job on the planet but um I I think when you start a company. So I started off in engineering, then I was in product, mm-hmm. and there would be these floors of other people in accounting, and I was just mm-hmm. like, "What do they do all day?" Right. <laughs> now, after like having to have to do it myself, I'm like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." yeah. So our our first hire was the everything else person, which I, we should have hired oh, eons ago. So good, like the I've never run payroll once. Is what are you gonna do now? Well, so I I'll have a co-founder, and they will run payroll. So or they will hire someone who will run payroll. Like one of these options, definitely. Are we gonna get the money for all these hires? Uh, so fundraising, I can do. <laughs> Just running payroll, I can't do. It's actually payroll is actually very easy. Okay, okay. Fundraising is actually relatively easy. No, if you really, I mean, I, I'll show you how to run payroll. Okay, okay. But like the thing is, and I can show you how to fundraise. <laughs> the thing is, to run payroll, you have to have money. Like we didn't, we didn't right, run right. payroll for a while because we weren't drawing a salary. Yeah. So the first employee did. So much in the company. What made you decide to get in everything else as a first instead of an engineer? Because um, so it's the the idea is keeping the most important thing the most important thing, and doing it kind of all the shit that you have to. There's so much shit that you have to do with with a startup. So like you know, getting an office is is a really good example of this. It takes a lot of work to like push that project through. Oh yeah. And it goes wrong in so many ways, and it, but it has to happen. Oh, right? yeah. If you don't get an office, there's nowhere for employees to work, or you know, ma- making sure that you have an internet connection in your office, and you know, having a secondary internet connection, and all this shit. 
Are you, are you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yeah, it's a good, good way of thinking about it. So the, the important thing at, at your startup is like you know level four, level five, but you can't do that if your employees are worried about level one. Yeah, if you're like, I don't have a place to go to work, mm-hmm. and the internet doesn't work. Yeah, th- those are just basic stress. Right, exactly. So you, you you need to solve those, but they're not the most important thing. Well, the most important thing is you have a product that customers like. That right, you can- exactly. So you always want to stay focused on that, and so you hire someone to take care of the other stuff. I should have done that far sooner. I think. Um, let me give a nuanced answer. Mm-hmm. I think things have gotten much more outsourceable than they were even five years ago. True, true, true. But I think even these outsourced systems still need a level of care. Mm-hmm. They they need a manager to to take care of them, and yeah. Like even if you have an outsourced bookkeeper, you yep. still need somebody to review the books. Yeah. Um, even with an outsourced bookkeeper, you need like someone has to do the reconciliation. Yeah. Someone has to say. Yeah, how much the salespeople's um, commissions. commissions are. Yeah, yep. I did that until very recently. I did that. And there's just stuff that you don't realize how much time it really takes. Mm-hmm. Like the bulk of our business is not self-serve, but through order forms, that just takes time. Wow, you should have done like this uh, a bottom-up dev-focused uh, startup. That would have been a better. We tried. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we tried, but it turned out people wanted to pay us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even when you think that there's that there's a startup that does this, yeah, in- inevitably. Someone needs to manage the twenty or thirty different vendors that you use to do this between your lawyers, your, your payroll, your your accounting, your the office, the or, food, or, or I'll give you the, a really simple example. Like we wanted to set up a four hundred one k because our employees wanted it, mm-hmm. so we're like, great, we'll set up a four hundred one k. Everybody will be happy. Mm-hmm. It turns out that um, even if it's totally automated, there's still some paperwork you still have to fill yeah, out. Yeah. Like the government makes you fill out stuff. That mm-hmm. basically says that you're in compliance with various rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah you have yeah. to get a bond so that if you go out of business, none of which is complex, but all of which is just time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's this tendency in startups to defer everything until until it actually is important. Right. It's, it's kind of one of those things that startups do, that, and, and in many ways it's probably illegal. But you know, kind of, you, you do it anyway, and everyone kind of tolerates it because you, you you can generally fix it at the end. But that means that a lot of times, and a situation will come up that needs to be dealt with right now. Well, I think there are some basic social contracts you have with everybody. Mm-hmm. So, like with stuff we could not defer, like um, our employees needed health insurance. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like that's something I took very seriously. Well, I I think that's a really good example because we we didn't have health insurance until we got an employee. We're hiring employees, and the employees are like, "Oh yeah, we need health insurance." Yeah, so and like, like, well, of course you need health insurance. We will, we will get right on that. Yeah, it was the same. Like, so beginning, it was John and I, my co-founder, and we were yeah. paying Cobra through our old jobs, mm-hmm. easy peasy. Yeah, and then we wanted to start hiring, and they said, you know, hey, you know, they had kids. They're like, can you get us health insurance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's what I mean by social contract. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's not so, something that you could punt on because they yeah. want to go to the doctor. Well, we we had a good example of that. You know the. The day that the first employee came in and said that they were pregnant, and they're like, "What is your pregnancy policy?" And I'm like, "I don't know, but we will have a very good and fair one." And I had so so Genevieve was was our first employee, and Genevieve was someone that you could just hand anything like this, and she would come out with this amazing like compromise that well not not so much compromise, but you know that, that took into account all of the things and was like very employee fair and and that sort of thing. I was like. This will be excellent because Genevieve will will take care of it. Yeah, um, and that was that was like really 
really comforting, I think, to, to all the employees. Yeah, I think in hindsight, I made two mistakes, and I don't know if they're mistakes, but just I think I underestimated how much of this other stuff time mm-hmm. sucked up. Oh yeah, so much, so much. And then like I believed in the hype, like so we we were a Zenefits customer. Mm-hmm. Oh right, I see. And in my mind, I thought of Zenefits as like applying for a credit card. They'll do everything for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I just have to input some fields. Yeah. Don't, no. It's the same. It's the same with Stripe. Right, you know, you use Stripe, and it's like Stripe will handle everything, and then you're like, oh, I need better reporting, or, or the board needs accrual-based accounting. So like, I don't know what accrual-based accounting is, but there's no button for it in the Stripe <laughs> dashboard. I keep looking for this button. I keep right-clicking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like something we we do by hand right now, and um, John Sheehan actually tweeted about this, and I tweeted back, like, mm-hmm. please fix this. Was we reconcile our Stripe accounts with our invoice accounts because mm-hmm. I need a consolidated revenue yeah. sheet. I, I, I swear I heard that Stripe was doing invoices like three years ago. Really? I mean, I don't see it, so perhaps not. But am I just like clicking in the? Maybe I'm double clicking in the wrong page. I haven't looked at the Stripe account in quite some time. <laughs> so there's this idea that that like being a startup CEO is is some kind of glamorous job. I think when people think about that, they think of the series C or D, like they think of the intercom guys now. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, so you're friends with the intercom team, yeah, right? Yeah, so I, I, I sat across from, from Owen when Owen was the only person in their San Francisco office. Yes. Yeah, so we, we were sitting in an investor office a couple of blocks up from here on, in the Stork building. And like it was me and Alan and him and, and Macy. And that was the San Francisco team of, of intercom. Yeah. Yeah. And was it glamorous? So I, I feel to a certain extent Owen always had some sort of like aura about him. Uh-huh. Like you you could tell just from talking to Owen that Intercom was going to be an amazing company. Interesting. But I mean certainly his his job was lots of difficult shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's the early startup founder. Yeah, I mean the the early startup founder is I remember I got absolutely furious at uh, our, our mutual friend Fred once. Mhm. He's like, Edith, you look so stressed. You just need to hire somebody to do this, 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 and this. And I was mm-hmm. just like, dude, with what money? This, this is hilarious because Cause, I, cause, okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember chatting to Fred about this, and he's like, you know, we're we're kind of trying to transition from from seeds to to Series A. And I'm like, here's what you do. Here's what your organization looks like. And I knew this because I'd failed to do this, right? And I was like, here here is what we should have done, and what everyone else is doing. And he's like, this is amazing. And then he just did it, and like, yeah, life seems amazing. Yeah, but like, there's a stage before that when you're scrapping, when you're like, you're you're and your co-founder, and you don't have any money. It's like, well, yeah, sure, life would be grand if I hired, mm-hmm. you know, these twenty people. But I don't. Well, what you should do is is get ten million from Sequoia, just off the bat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just just why Sequoia and why ten million? Uh, th- those are just particular numbers that, that that came to mind in the context of the conversation that we were having. Uh, <laughs> really? So you, do you I, have ten million from Sequoia? No, we we don't. We have 18 million from DFJ and scale. What? That was our Series B. Oh, I thought you meant you personally right now. Me personally? No, no, no. I'm talking about Circle CI. I thought you were dropping like some big hint about funding. Oh no, <laughs> I haven't even. I, I've talked to investors, but but very much not as a as a I would like your money sort of thing. So I do think that life gets easier somewhat on some vectors when you get more funding or mm-hmm. more. And I say funding loosely, either from VC or from customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's like the old rule of. When you get more money, you can offload and get more and more leverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, then you have new different challenges. Right. Yeah, it's that learning thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, once you're a series C or D, you can like swan around the conference circuit and people listen to you as a thought leader. And 
Yeah, but then also you have all these this weight of okay, now I have to make a hundred million, two hundred million. Right, 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 right. I think Twitter is an excellent example of this. Oh, tell me, tell me. Well, I, so I remember. I don't know if you've read Hatching Twitter or something about their troubles, but the the point at which I, we we enter this story, Jack is is back in the CEO seat, has been for a year or two or whatever, and they're now going to their to their S one. Yep. So they're about to IPO, and uh, Jack is invited to speak at startup school, and. They're in their quiet period before the IPO, so he can't talk about Twitter at all. And so, like, he's giving this talk to a room full of, I don't know, a thousand people, something like that, and also live streamed on the internet. And he can't talk about Twitter at all. So, what he ends up talking about is, like, he 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 plays some jazz for us, and he reads a passage from his favorite book. And there, there's something else that 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 was like equally ridiculous. ridiculous. And half the room were like Jack fanboys, <laughs> like they were loving it. Like every word that came out of his mouth, they they, they were so sitting was, there, like part a, of it, the experience. It was it was a Jack fest. It, yeah, it was it was. They, they were basking in the experience of the Dorsiness. And then the other half of the room is like, what the fuck is this shit? Self-indulgent. So, yeah, exactly. It was. I mean, I don't know exactly if I would call it self-indulgent. Because it was in the quiet period, he couldn't talk about Twitter and had to find something. But on the other hand, Jack does have a bit of a reputation. There's many things to talk about besides your company. Mm-hmm. Like the, the talk I gave about running 100 miles. There we go, there we go. Like, you could have played your favorite bit of jazz. I Let it move the audience. <laughs> I, don't, I don't jazz. Yeah, so so I think that there's that point where, where where your fanboys are swanning over you, but then like three years later, the market has expectations, and you're not meeting the expectations, and people are the chickens are coming to roost, perhaps. Well, I will say something that um our, our advisor Sean Burns told me, which is um to don't work at Uber. <laughs> Was to celebrate the wins because mm, I've heard this. This is good. We were very bad at this, and I think need to be much better at it. Well, I don't mean be too self congratulatory, but I mean startups are really hard. Yeah, I've heard that. Have you lived it? Oh yeah. And if you don't have those moments where you look back on mm-hmm. and like that was a good day, like the bad days can seem really bad. Yeah, I think this is um, this is the reason to have a co-founder as well. That you know, when when you have a really great co-founder and a great relationship with your co-founder, it's much, much easier to handle the downs of a startup, of which there are many, 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 many. Sometimes I think the, the startup is the hardest and funnest thing I've ever done. I think that's a, that's a good example. It's like, um, you, you know when you get off a roller coaster and you're like, that was tough. You, you know that kind of roller coaster, like it's, it's too big a roller coaster. No, am I am I alone in this? Okay, you know when you when you go to Six Flags and once you get off the roller coaster, they allow you get back on if there's a spare seat. And sometimes you don't want to get it back on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So so like you do it once, that was amazing. You do it twice, that was amazing. Yeah, you do it the yeah. third time, it's like what the fuck was I thinking? Well, because it's your inner ear. Right. And there's there's this point. I think startups are like this that that you eventually leave the roller coaster. Everything is wonderful and continues being wonderful. It may be challenging, it may be difficult, but it's it's rewarding and you learn a lot. But eventually, you know, you you stayed on the roller coaster too long and you need to get off. Well, I mean, honestly, though, what I found though is working at other other people's companies was that it was still a roller coaster that I was not in control of it. Well, this was you were working at startups. You could work at a nice, boring job. Even boring jobs, like industries change. Mm-hmm. Like suddenly. Suddenly, it was a very steady job. Is not mm-hmm. 
Like owning a taxi medallion, maybe. Yeah, that seemed like a sure bet once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what's going to happen? There's now only you've so lost many, all your money. There's only so many taxi medallions. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, I, I know, I know, like, I understand it. Yeah, like, yeah. You lived in New York City, right? Like Those would go for like 200K because like, there's only so many taxis. Yeah, this yeah, is a gold yeah, mine. Yeah. And then what happened? Uber. Mm-hmm. Apart from all of the ups and downs, I think the, the hardest thing for me was moving away from product. Tell me more. So I think there's two kinds of founders. The, the, the people who want to start startups for, for starting startups' sake, and the people who want to start startups because they have a, this deep belief about a product or, or maybe a subject area or something like that. Well, so let me, let me subdivide that. Mm-hmm. I think there's three reasons people start startups. Okay. They want to get rich. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think, I think getting rich is is a sort of a a lower level thing for everyone. No, like no, no, no one is really, really invested in like not being rich. I, 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 but I think some people are like. So let me subdivide. Okay. I think everybody has a primary, secondary, and tertiary. Okay, okay, good, good, good way of putting it. And they're you want to you want to get super rich. Uh huh. Like, and they have this fantasy of like being, um, you know, the snap dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, dating supermodels. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. On a yacht, popping yeah, bubbly. Yeah. Like, you want to get famous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I'll be on TV all the time. Yeah, yeah. People will listen to my jazz. <laughs> and then there's people who want to make stuff. And I, and I think every startup founder is some combination of these mm, three. Some, yeah, I think that's true. And there's the people for whom product is number one, they all have to move off product at some point. And I think that that's a real challenge. I certainly found it a real challenge. You know that adage about you know working on what's urgent versus what's important. Yeah. Right. What's important has to change around probably a little bit after you get you get product market fit or you know you, you get the first like really good product. You start to have to work on the company. Yep. The company. Um, the company is your product. The company is your product. That's a that's a good analogy that 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 I've heard before that I actually don't like because I don't like working on the company. Well, I think of it as a type of creation. Sure, but it's not the product that you're in love with. But I, I think for me, what I realized is I realized that it gave me just as much joy and happiness. It did not do that for me. Like to the thought that we're creating this thing in the world that's mm-hmm. that's our culture that's right. that's our well it's it's one or two levels uh, of abstraction away from it so it's like you like helping people so you build a product to help them so then you build this this organization that builds that product and then you realize that manage building... the people who are actually building the organizations that that, that build the but product that, and then that... they're building organizations that man I don't know well, there's a lot of levels of abstraction it's like you know you're you're building a factory that makes little factories that's right exactly yeah yeah the thing that gives me happiness is that like by having an organization i can make more products yeah so, so there's this game, still is this game on on Steam called Factorio. By the way, Paul, you are a brilliant game player. Thank you. I am far better at pawning, but like you're far better at games. So context for people at home is that uh, just, there's no context. It was just like this. I I absolutely destroyed Edith at <laughs> Settlers of Catan the other night, and I think she's bitter. No, I'm I'm a better punner. Mm-hmm. You, you you definitely are a better punner. I was just saying, like, I I don't know how you're so much better at games. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. Anyway, like, do you Factorio. hold do you hold a game board in your head and you're thinking ahead, or is it is it rote learning, or 
I think it's just experience. I actually don't like to focus too much on. I, th- I think it's it's hard. To, oh, this might, this uh, startup analogy coming. Uh, <laughs> Incoming. <laughs> Incoming startup uh, analogy. I I really enjoy playing games, but I don't enjoy like I, I don't enjoy like managing them too much. Like I don't enjoy the process of like managing of trying to win the game. I just like try to play as well as I can. Oh no, you like winning. You talked I mean, about it. I, I absolutely do like winning, but I don't enjoy. Let me let me give a, an analogy to my analogy. So when you're when you're selling, right? I enjoy being in the room. I enjoy making the pitch. I don't enjoy running the pipeline. Interesting. And so in a, in a game, there's a certain amount of running the pipeline. You know, you have to get a couple of levels of abstraction and, and, and away from the the actual activities. And I just enjoy the activity. Mm. And I think this is this is the same for me in in a startup. Third. <laughs> Your analogy has looped yeah, back yeah, on itself. We, 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 we've come back to what the analogy was analogizing about. I really enjoy the process of like doing the activity of the startup, so you know, building the product, or the, the 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 purpose of the startup, building the product. I enjoy doing that. But when you start being at the level where you're organizing the processes that then cause the product to be created, it it's just not as much fun for me. Say that again. The Role of building the product is great. The role of organizing for the product to be built is not something I enjoy. See, I get into it, and I think because I have built products so many times that to me this is a new uh, challenge. Interesting. It, it's not so much that I don't enjoy it because I certainly enjoyed a lot of that at Circle, but when it starts getting really tough, like I, I was able to derive this this intense motivation from product, like solving the product problems, that I found I, I found it much much more difficult to pull that satisfaction from running the company. Oh really? Mm. I, I find it immensely joyous. Well, th- this is why in my new company I'm going to be the CTO, and I am I'm hiring a CEO. So uh, Paul gets to go do all the fun products. I get stuff. to do all the fun product things, and someone who like really wants to be a CEO is going to get a very unfortunate lesson. <laughs> What's the lesson? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. They're, 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 <laughs> that sounded pre- ominous. Pre- presumably, I'm going to hire someone who loves being CEO. <laughs> I just say I, I just like feeling that I'm, and maybe I'm getting high on my own supply. It's fun to build something that's bigger than yourself. Thanks for listening to this episode of To Be Continuous, brought to you by Heavybit and hosted by me, Paul Bigger of CircleCI, and Edith Harbaugh of LaunchDarkly. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. While you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. <laughs>